As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook, I'm joined as always today by James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. And what a week it's been for Tottenham Hotspur. 14 goals, 3 wins, a backup striker signed, and on Sunday afternoon a 6-1 win at Old Trafford. Charlie, complete the sentence. This was Tottenham's best win since... Um, I, uh, Ajax, I think. Yeah, it has to be. There hasn't been anything... That's a boring answer. Yeah, well, I think it is, isn't it? I mean, what what else would even come close between now and then? Yeah, fine. Can we well, can yeah. we say Premier League win because that feels like it may elicit more debate? That's yeah, yeah. that's that's yeah. Much Premier more League win would open it up. Or, or alternatively, you could also say that Ajax. I was going to say maybe maybe Ajax was like a great, obviously an, a historic event, but maybe not so good a performance over ninety minutes. Yeah, but yeah. Let's just say we could just say Premier League. I, so the one that springs to mind for me would be that the the win at Stamford Bridge in 2018, which mm. felt quite significant because it was the first time Spurs had won there for 25 years or whatever it was, or even longer. Um, and also it was Spurs and Chelsea kind of vying for those Champions League spaces towards the end of that season. So it had kind of significance within that season as well. Although the one kind of thing that perhaps tarnishes it now in retrospect is that Chelsea kind of over, overtook Spurs again immediately after that the following season and subsequently. So it wasn't like something that led to like a long-term shift, I guess. Uh, so the other one, I guess, would be maybe Man City at the Etihad in 2016, which I kind of think was... Really? Uh, you think uh, that that good? Wow. I don't know. Because it's away from home, it feels like yeah. you can only really compare it to that. I, I don't know. So it feels like Spurs have won a lot of games against good teams at home. Mm. And like I, I feel like the, the comparison has to be away games, which perhaps is unfair. But I, I don't know. It always feels that I just, I'm just used to seeing Spurs win games against the top sides at home. They do it fairly regularly, or they have done it fairly regularly over the last sort of five, six years. So to go away and to beat someone convincingly, I mean, there um, was the United three nil, wasn't there? But that was you know in the kind of dog days of the Mourinho era. <laughs> I was about I was about to say, oh, United were terrible that day. But I mean, I, yeah. you could say that about uh, about yesterday as well. Obviously, it, it actually that feels quite a comparable scenario. You know, it was. Spurs it feeling like applying the last rights to uh, 
to a kind of beleaguered Manchester United manager. I suppose, from memory, it was like the third or fourth game of that season. Yeah, third game. Well, how had re- they? How had Spurs done in the games before? Uh, they'd won them both. Oh, they okay, beat yeah. they beat Newcastle and then Fulham, I think. Uh, yeah. Okay, fine. But I was United- wondering whether whether they'd had like a sort of stop start start to the season then as well, but obviously not. Yeah, they won two one at Newcastle, beat Fulham three one at home, then won three 0 at United. And at that point, I remember everybody was thinking, "Christ, like Spurs are going to be incredible all season." And then they actually lost their next three: mm. uh, Watford, Liverpool, and Inter. Um, but I th- that game was amazing from a United standpoint because it really heralded the start of the second Mourinho season. That is that half season before Mourinho was sacked halfway through that year. But anyway, what I don't want to do on this podcast is spend too much time talk- talking about United because I think um, a- some of the TV coverage of the game yesterday was was very like United centric. And um, so let's try let's try and keep this upbeat and. Um, Spurs centric instead uh Charlie what was oh sorry I should do my answer to this question um I think I think I kind of agree with James that like the awayness of this game is the thing is like what makes it so special I know that like home and away distinctions probably matter a bit less in in the era of behind closed doors but it did feel it did yeah it does feel a bit more special for not being at Spurs Stadium. So I had the that Chelsea 3-1 written down as well. But then I, it also did kind of remind me a little bit of the Liverpool game at Wembley in November 2017 yeah. when they won 4-1. Mm, yeah. Just in the way they kept going and they were so quick and the opposition didn't have any answer. Just a shout out as well, I know it was a home game, but that when they battered Chelsea yeah, uh, at I, Wembley. I was and- just about to mention that. I've seen a couple of people suggest that and say that that was like the start of Pochettino Spurs really and you can kind of see... I, I don't know, you've written about this a bit, Charlie, that this could kind of be the start of Mourinho Spurs. It kind of feels like that they found that they found that identity a little bit. And you, you can kind of, you've watched them play in the last two away games in particular, and actually in the two games in the week as well, even though they rotated a lot. You can kind of see patterns of play forming and, and a bit more tactical identity. And it just feels like there's so much more confidence in what they're doing when they've got the ball now. And we talked a lot about how it how it felt like when they picked up the ball in those first couple of games, they didn't really look, look like they knew what they wanted to do and they were really reliant on kind of mistakes from the opponents or, or, or the opponents getting caught out of position to, to score a goal. But now it kind of feels a bit more like uh, that they know what they're going to do when they get the ball and, and there are kind of patterns in mind when they're moving forward. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's what the piece my piece from the game yesterday was saying this felt like the week where they did finally get an identity under Mourinho you can really see what they're trying to do it's coherent and actually interestingly James I was actually talking you, you were talking about the 2-0 the Deli Alley game there right the January 2017 one I was actually thinking as well about the November 2018 one which I think was the last really good league performance under Pochettino when they were 2-0 up in like 15 minutes Ali and Kane scored then Sun scored that really good goal where he ran past David Luiz and they just absolutely battered Chelsea that day like it was a real statement and it was at that point as well beyond from beyond like that uh, Deli Alley scoring twice uh, White Hart Lane game where obviously then it was like wow this is really remarkable we're beating Chelsea whereas that one in the November of 2018 just felt like a yeah of course we're battering Chelsea and it's the most normal thing in the world uh, and I was just that always stuck with me just how superior they were that day for a limited time only we're offering you the chance to subscribe to The Athletic for just one pound a month 
You can read all of our writing on Spurs and so much more, including plenty of exclusive deadline day content. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up for just £1 per month. Charlie, let's kind of break down what Tottenham did so well on the pitch yesterday. Um, One of the things, there's no particular order we need to do this in, but one of the things that stood out to me watching was pressing and the way that Spurs really seem to get a, get about United at the top of the pitch. Lamella winning it back for the first goal, Kane for the third goal. How um, how important do you, do you think that is to the way that United play? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was something I looked at. And that, that's such a shift, isn't it, from that opening day where Mourinho talked about how lazy the press was and they just didn't really look sharp. Yeah, yesterday you had pressing from the front and then also guys like Hoybier, who was outstanding, just, you know, right getting in amongst it as soon as United were on the ball. Um, you know, that made an enormous difference. That the, the the speed with which they counter they counterattack at now is just unrecognizable from how it's often been. And I think Reggion makes a massive difference in that regard. You know, he can just fly up the wing. So, you know, it felt like United were vulnerable. Firstly, you know, every time Spurs went forward, they looked so, so dangerous. But also whenever United went forward, you kind of thought they could well get picked off here. And and then you had that Kane-Son connection again. Um, you know, Kane again assisting Son with a beautiful through ball. And I mean, Kane's link up and passing is just outrageous. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those things came together. There was There were so many things, though. I mean, like... You know, a lot's been made of, uh, you know, Lamella being the intelligent C-word, you know, uh, the epitome of that, that Mourinho has so often stated he wants. And and I think there's that's true. But I also think a part of, you know, that side of things is being able to look after yourself and stand up for yourself. And I thought it was really encouraging the way like Hoybier went after Pogba, after Pogba left one in on him. I, I loved the moment at the end when Regulon got taken out by... Um, uh, by Eric Bailly and then kind of squared up to him you know this is a guy so much bigger than him and it just felt like that was sending out a message like we're not going to get pushed around here uh, and just so encouraging because we have seen Tottenham teams pushed around before we've seen them implode like that Sheffield United away game uh, and the whole mentality just looks just completely different from then. James what most uh, what most stood out to you yesterday? Uh, I mean, the thing I would really just like like to double down on, just to make sure this doesn't get overlooked, is that obviously Manchester United went down to ten men quite early in the game. Um, but by that point, Spurs were, were so comfortably on top. I mean, they, they easily. I mean, they should have been further ahead at that point. It was two one, but I think they could have could easily have been three one up, and maybe even four. You know, it was the Aurier chance, another chance for Son when he went through one on one. That shot that Lamella had. So, I mean, no, they were comfortably on top at 2-1 and Manchester United had completely lost their heads. So, I, I and I think Gary Neville said this in commentary yesterday as well, I really don't think that, that red card actually made that much of a difference to, to the way the game was played. I mean, Manchester United might have lost a little bit of um, a little bit of focus maybe for that kind of 10-15 minute spell. But I don't think in terms of the way the, the way the game was flowing, I mean, I don't think it turned the tide of the game. I don't think anyone could argue that. And to be brutally honest, I know Solskjaer's had a bit of a dig at Lamella. Um for how easily he went down when he got slapped in the face by Martial. But uh, one, he might want to have a look at how easily Martial went down. I'm not saying it wasn't a penalty, but he might want to have a look at how easily Martial went down in the penalty area after 30 seconds. Um, And two, I would say Manchester United were incredibly lucky uh, not to have Pogba, Bay or Luke Shaw sent off in the second half. Because, I mean, to be honest, I think the referee was being quite charitable. Um, Mm by not sending any any of those off because I think if it had been 11 on 11 
any one of those could easily have gone. There's also been some really good footage of some Bruno Fernandes dives. And I mean, some of them are genuinely like I mean, look, outrageous. Uh, uh, you know, it's, abs- it's absolute nonsense for him to complain about that. I mean, look, uh, there, is not, there isn't a single Spurs fan in the world that's going to have any sympathy for Manchester United in that regard. You know, Some of the <laughs> things we've seen happen in these fixtures down the years, particularly at Old Trafford, have been absolute nonsense. So, um, you know, and Solskjaer's played in quite a lot of those games. So, uh, you know, I, I think for him to try and take a moral, moral high ground there uh, <laughs> when, when one of his players is really letting down. Uh, is ludicrous but what can you do but you're right as well I mean I think on the 11 v 10 slash 11 point I don't think anyone is trying to suggest that that was why the scoreline was 6-1 I think there's been complete agreement that Tottenham were completely battering them before no but I think it's a thing that needs to be remembered because I think you now yeah, you say that and it's true but in six months time when people look at it I think there may be there may be a kind of uh, a kind of school of thought that the red card made a massive difference and it was all down to that and I think you know if you look, if you if you turned on I was going to say Teletext, and I don't think people really do that now. If you turned on the internet and looked at what the school was at full time and saw Marshall was setting off after 25 minutes, uh, yeah, then your yeah. instinct would probably be that that was decisive. But I, I, I really, I, I mean, I really don't think that was the case. I'm not saying Spurs necessarily would have won 6-1, but I mean, I think they would have won pretty comfortably, but, you know, 3-4-5. So what you're saying is, James, every week we need to be reminding people of this so that in six yeah, months I, I think forget so. it. I think so, just to be sure. Yeah, I agree. To start from the front, I thought that um, Kane and Son were obviously absolutely brilliant. The way that they they really ripped United to shreds in their movement, like not just Kane, not just Kane's quick free kick for the second goal, but the fourth goal. Alan Shearer did a really good bit on match of the day two last night, where he showed how the way that Kane kind of held off, hanging back outside the box, basically distracted Luke Shaw and pulled him towards mm. him, and in doing so created the space. For, for Son to run in behind and it, it seemed Charlie as if the Kane and Son like basically what we saw against Southampton which was Kane and Son combining so well for all of those goals that's not like a one-off I think that that's now just a really integral integral part of how Tottenham play yeah I think they're now up to something like sixth in the all-time Premier League uh, standings for a pair that combines most for goals and assists um, like they they really they really are smashing it in that regard, and I, and I think they're the top since Sun arrived in uh, in twenty fifteen. So yeah, I mean that that link up is is amazing and and just so so hard for teams to defend against. I just want to say as well, like on one of the things that I mentioned in the in my piece, and that I do think is so important is is this idea of a meritocracy that Mourinho's building, and the fact that guys like Lamella and Aurier started, and these are two guys who've had so much criticism and who aren't fashionable picks at all, but based on that Chelsea game, just completely merited being picked. And I just think that's so good when you can create that kind of environment. It sends out such a positive message. And then you see how well they played. And it's just, you know, for players to know they will be rewarded, that players aren't just going to get picked on reputation or because of their transfer fee or anything like that. And, you know, Lamella... He was great yesterday. He he really I know he only played for a half, but what an impact he had. I mean, he it was his pressing and the sort of pressing ugly work that gets the first goal. He played a beauty of a pass from inside his own half to Son that he really should have scored from and then was involved in the red card and you know, we can talk about the morality of that all we want. But I just think that's such an important part of what's happening now with this Tottenham team and and there is such competition for places. I mean, it, it's crazy, but there is a feeling that if you do play well, you'll get your chance. And it, and it, and on that, actually, it'll be really interesting to see how quickly Gareth Bale's integrated, um, you know, and whether he just comes in as an automatic pick as soon as he's fit. I suspect he won't. I suspect 
he uh, you know he might start from the bench partly as well because he's coming back from an injury. But um, yeah, I just think it's such an encouraging an encouraging sign, and I think it's not a coincidence then that guys like Aurier and Lamella, and to, and to an extent Sissoko as well, who I know partly that's Lascelles' injury, just you know really stepped up yesterday. I know we've talked a lot about how many games there are and the need for uh, essentially having two players in every position, really, given there are going to be so many midweek games between now and Christmas and, and possibly beyond. But you you actually do wonder whether uh, they may almost have too many players, sort of. Chopping at the bit to be in the team because you know, and I mean, Lucas hasn't been on the same level as Son or Kane, but I mean, he's done okay and he's going to want to be playing. Bergvine's had a couple of good games in the last couple of weeks, and you think, well, he's going to want to be playing more often than not. Obviously, you've mentioned Lamella there uh, and Gareth Bale to come in as well, and you suddenly think, you know, we haven't even mentioned Deli Ali yet, and it's going to be quite hard for Mourinho to kind of juggle all of that, keep all of those players happy. I know that's a bit of a cliche, but footballers want to play football matches. There isn't a footballer in the world at the top level who's happy to sat on the bench every week. So that, that could actually be another problem for Mourinho now that, uh, you know, and I know, and again, this is another cliche, but it's a good problem to have. Uh, but it's going to be uh, interesting to see how he balances all of that out. On the subject of Lamella, I think we should have a little look at the um, the red card incident, even though I completely agree it wasn't, it wasn't as crucial a moment in the turning of the game as some people might think. Um, you know, it's very pretty obvious what happened there. It was he he chose to go down, having been hit by Martial. Uh, and it's also, I think, my personal view on this is that I don't have a problem with it. I think it's it's all part of the game, and it's also totally in keeping with Mourinho's "nice guys don't win" instruction, which is kind of flows all the way through that documentary. Um, James, do you have any do you have any moral issue with it? Do you think it's fine? No, no. Why would no. I? I like, like I said before, I I've seen I've seen that kind of thing happen <laughs> in Spurs Man United games all the time, yeah. and this is the first time it's gone that way around. Um, I, I, this may seem kind of uh, sort of one eyed fan centric bias, basically, but I, I, I've got to say, I, and Sky kept showing that angle of it from behind the goal, where it looks like Lamella's properly whacked Marshall like right across the face. But if you actually see it from the other side, I mean, he, uh, tell me if you think I'm talking absolute nonsense here, but it really does look like he basically just kind of brushes his arm across his chest like to kind of push him away. Not to like whack him, but to kind of just kind of shove him away with, with his arm, not with like his elbow or his hand. Um, and then Martial uh, uh, reacts by kind of flicking a hand in his face, which, you know, and this is another cliche, but you know, you can't do that. Uh and I don't. I just don't really see they can have much complaint. I don't think the two things are exactly the same. I, I'm not saying uh, you know Lamella's an angel and he hasn't done anything underhand there, but you know I, I, these things happen in football matches and they have done for years. And and to be honest, it's probably about time Spurs are on the right end of that sort of thing. Charlie, are you going to stand up for <laughs> stand up against Lamella? <laughs> Uh, no, I think it's fine. I mean, look, these things happen and he every team to varying degrees, there's so much gamesmanship that goes on, you know, whether that's diving to win penalties or whatever. I, I also thought that one of the interesting things about, you know, I mean, it got a bit tedious how often Mourinho uh, said that he wanted his team to play ugly, um, you know, and be bastards. We know that. I, I thought one thing that was quite interesting was that he made the point most vociferously um, in the Man City game and clearly... He feels that Guardiola's team are very, very adept at doing that. And I think that's probably a legacy of like Busquets in that uh, Barca into semi final, Fernandinho. You know, Barca of all, um, Guardiola's teams have always had that kind of character. 
and yet they've always had also a little bit of a kind of holier than thou vibe around them so i think he you know he just thinks look all fairs in love and war and um yeah, Lamella, Lamella it, it was cute and Martial reacted and he shouldn't have done. And look, and look you know, he mentioned it before, but look at what happened in the second half. You had Bayon Kane, Pog, who was Pogba on? Was it? Uh, and that was on Hoiberg. No, Hoiberg, yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, and then that Luke Shaw one on, on Lucas, which, you know, uh, if, if that goes a little differently and Lucas lands slightly more awkwardly, I mean, there's, a, there's quite a good chance he could get injured there, isn't there? Like a bad injury, really. Uh, you know, and, and I know there's this kind of idea in... England or Britain, if you want to include Graham Souness in Scotland, that um, that those kind of meaty, brutal challenges are somehow more honest than rolling around on the floor when someone slapped you in the face. But they're they're not better things to do, are they? I mean, you're far more likely to harm another human being by, you know, like kicking them across the legs when they're running incredibly quickly, given the way we know players can land awkwardly. I couldn't agree more. So I've I, always I, found I just, I've always found that m- crazy in this kind, like the kind of warped emphasis on you know how much we despise diving things like that, but like dangerous two footed tackles are fine and they're manly. Yeah. It's complete. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's like when people say spitting is the worst thing you can do. Yeah, but I mean, it, which yeah. might actually in, now be in, true. In those but, people were way yeah. ahead of their time. Yeah, yeah. but uh, <laughs> in, in the instance of the Luke Shaw, like the Luke Shaw thing was absolutely disgraceful. Like that should obviously that should obviously be a red card and a three game ban. And it's yeah. kind of it's kind of really disappointing that the referee didn't see it that way. And you could tell that some of the Spurs players were not at all impressed. It was only a yellow card simply because it's not like that. that you have to come well, down hard on that sort of thing. D- didn't they change the rule a couple of years ago? So that kind of thing was like yeah, a red I card. So, didn't yeah. someone got one? I can't think who it was in the Premier League. I'm Granit sure Xhaka, someone. Granite Xhaka got one. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. Was it, yeah. Uh, what was Early it? Swansea. On. It was. It was against uh, Swansea. Swansea. Yeah. 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 In, in a three-two win. Um, and it was exactly that kind of thing. It was one of those where you think you'll get away with it because it is kind of a tackle, but it's completely cynical. Yeah. That was actually probably not as bad as Shaw's. Shaw's was more of a jump. And also there's that thing in there, if it's reckless, it's a red card. Well, that was most certainly... I mean, it's obviously reckless. born completely out of frustration, that, isn't it? I mean, it, you know, the game is gone. It's like the last 10 minutes of the game when there's 6-1 down. It's not like he's done it... It's not like he's done it to stop Lucas scoring a goal, really, is it? It's just, you know, a chance to take his frustration out on an opposition player. And, I, you know, I, I, whether or not he was sent off in that game obviously wouldn't have made any difference. But, I, I again, I, you know, for, for the Manchester United manager to come out and make out like his players are angels and Spurs are cheating scumbags is um, it's just absolute nonsense. Yeah, yeah. I want to flag up uh, Solskjaer saying on the TV last night, um, he must be having an operation tonight of Eric Lamella, which is just an absolutely classic bit of uh, terror <laughs> manager banter in that kind of instance. Um, a few other things I want to mention as well, because I mean, almost everyone played really well. Uh, Serge Aurier, who's been you know on the transfer market for a lot of the summer, and then obviously people expected that he'd be second choice behind Matt Doherty now. But Charlie, I thought Aurier was incredible yesterday. Well, yeah, this is what I mean. Like, he... And he made that place his own. He played. He actually played really well against Chelsea as well. Um, and you could see Mourinho was really chuffed with him the way they embraced after the game. And he completely made. He justified his being picked yesterday. Uh, he was really, really good. Uh, isn't going to move by the sounds of it. And yeah, I mean, th- this is exactly what Mourinho wants. That competition. And also, if you think back to Pochettino's great teams, and you know there was the Trippier Walker. Rosen Davis and especially Trippier Walker. I mean, you had two really exciting right backs, and 
you know that that competition should be really good for them and there's then the scope to to rotate them a bit more and, and you think you know we talked about that before with Matt Doherty considering how many games he played last season to then expect him to do another like 50-60 games is would kind of be madness so I think it's really important Aurier does stay and um, and I and I and I do hope in a way he keeps his place um, for the West Ham game nothing against Doherty I think is really good and will I'm sure get his, the place back but it, but this is the point about the meritocracy and that you know Aurier has absolutely deserved to keep the shirt for the moment well isn't Doherty going to go and play three games for Ireland now yeah. in the next in the next like, two weeks so I mean <laughs> all, all the more reason to keep Aurier in the team I actually think him not not Aurier not playing every week. I think actually probably helps him a bit because you do wonder whether he's one of those players where having that little bit more in the tank basically helps him get out of trouble more often than not. I mean, not, mm. you know, he he hasn't quite got that recovery speed that Walker had, but I think w- when he's a bit better rested, he's going to give himself that little bit more, much more of a chance to um, to kind of get back and get himself or other players out of trouble. Um, and you're right. You know, it's probably his best game for Spurs, and it was well, you know, not just the fact that he scored, and it was a really good finish. I mean, that goal was brilliant, by the way. That pass from that Hoiberg. Hoiberg pass, you know, yeah. incredible. In a minute, it was unbelievable. Um, but, you know, he made himself available constantly through the whole game on that right flank, particularly in the first half. Set one so up much, as well. He so much space over there. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, he had a really, really good game, and you know, I've I've been a vocal critic, but um, I mean, you know, if he plays like that on a regular basis, then like, Mac Doherty's probably going to have a problem. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So Hoiberg was, I thought he was fantastic. He's so, it was so obvious what what he's there to do, like his improvements to the team in terms of winning the ball back. I think he's, uh, so I think he, he came top on touches, successful passes, passes in opposition half, possessions gained. And obviously, like there's been a lot of attention on that fantastic ball through to Aurier for his goal. But just his overall control of midfield was fantastic. And Spurs haven't really had someone to do that to do that in that position for years have they Charlie yeah I mean that's as much as a backup striker has become this sort of cause celeb and they need to get that in the other thing has been the lack of a defensive midfielder ever since Dembele and Wanyama uh, you know suffered so many injuries and then departed and and I thought for Hoybier I, I referred to this in the piece the moment that for me summed him up and actually summed up the new Tottenham if you like was him he it's in about the 90th minute and he overruns the ball and he's supposed to six one up at this point, and he falls to the floor. And such is his commitment. He heads the ball whilst yeah, lying on the ground, like Sunday League style. It was amazing. It was just like, you know, that kind of ravenous appetite just to win the ball and keep going, even though you're winning six one. I just thought it was so impressive. The other good moment from him, in a sort of similar vein, actually, when the game was one and the clock was running down. So I think it was like five one, maybe sort of seventy five minutes or whatever. Um, the ball kind of runs loose in midfield and he just nips ahead over yeah, yeah. Pogba. Uh, and, you know, ra- rather than kind of being passive and sitting back and waiting for the ball to come to him and trying to kind of then take the ball off the opponent, he nips in first, drives forward, plays the ball, I think probably maybe to Lucas who plays it through to Kane for the chance that Kane had that like low shot at De Gea. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just to kind of, uh, to, to like pick up the ball, 
to going to go and win it and to give it so quickly and to enable Spurs to be like to go from being out of possession on the halfway line to having a really good chance to score a goal like within sort of 15 seconds I mean that that's really that's really what you want from a player in a team like that isn't it well, it's interesting with Hoybier as well. I know from like the profile I did on him, he's he's obviously seen as a kind of snarling, tough tackling DM, but passing is a really important part of his game. And that's the part of his game that he thinks is actually better. And, you know, that's the part of the game he really enjoys. So it kind of stands to reason that he should have that in his locker as well as just being someone who can win the ball back. You know, he can win it back and then actually do something with it as well, which is such a good combo. In that sense, he reminds me a little bit of um, Nigel de Jong. Mm. Uh, yeah, so... De Jong was obviously... Or Makaleli, like fam- was a much better yeah. pass than he was made out to be. Yeah, I think Makaleli was probably better than those two. But just De Jong in the sense that he's like he's obviously famous for nearly killing Xabi Alonso in the 2010 World Cup final. But during his time at City, he's obviously, like he did slide around a lot and put a lot of tackles. But he was actually a pretty good passer as well. Like He's not he's not Michael Carrick, but he uh, he can move the ball forward quite precisely. And, he, and Hojbjerg does remind me a little bit of, of De Jong in the way that he does that. I wonder if, like De Jong, Hoybier in 10 years' time will be sandwiched between Keys and Gray on being sports, <laughs> <laughs> having to listen to them debate whether Messi can do it on a yeah. cold night in Stoke. Imagine. I, that's totally plausible. Stranger things have happened. Yeah, I, I, well, Hoybier, uh, he, he's a great talker, so I, I can kind of imagine that. And I think there's nothing to suggest Keys and Gray won't be doing that gig in 10 years. <laughs> I don't want to talk too much about United, but <laughs> about Keys Gray. <laughs> when you're looking back at this win... As good as it was, is there an element of um, lads at Solshire about it? <laughs> I mean, I always, my mind always goes back in, in this debate to the third game of the 2013, oh, no, second game, I think, of the 13-14 season. And Mourinho had recently been appoint, just been appointed, reappointed Chelsea manager. And he took his Chelsea team to the champions of, the, of England, Manchester United, and they got a nil-nil draw. And it was kind of like, that's a good point away at the Champions. It was actually Moises United. And Moises United then got beaten at home by like everyone that season. I mean, West Brom went there and won. Newcastle went there and won. Everton went there and won. And you actually thought, that's a really bad result. I can't believe we didn't beat Moises United. So there is there is always that risk. And there's, there is a degree to which we may see how good a result this is in the weeks to come. But they did still finish third like two months ago. You know, they're not they're not a complete gag team. Yeah, also, I mean, I'm not, I'm not convinced that like all, all the kind of mid-table teams in the Premier League are going to go to Old Trafford and get better results than that. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite the yeah. same, is it? If West Brom gets seven at, at Old Trafford this season, I would eat my hat, and I don't but even it, own a hat. But if like all, I guess the, the equivalent would be like if all the big six teams then also go and beat United, then you're kind of thinking like, oh, maybe it wasn't like a, such a landmark win. I'm not saying that's going to happen anyway. The really interesting point here is. Is the fact that, like, on this podcast for a while, we've been asking, you know, is Mourinho still relevant? Do his methods still work in 2020? And up until, and it has felt a lot of the time like they don't. Like, even in the Everton game, watching that, it felt like a team who'd sort of forgotten how to attack, how to attack. But then, you know, when Spurs destroyed Southampton in the second half of that game, I thought, oh, maybe it's an outlier. I don't know if they'll come up against a team who's as generous as that. But then watching yesterday, you felt actually maybe what we saw at Southampton isn't an outlier. And maybe this is a Tottenham team that does know how to play a kind of incisive and organised and intelligent counter-attacking football. And given how well it clicked, this is the fir- maybe the first time or the first time I really felt a sense of 
maybe it's going to work. Maybe the whole Mourinho thing is going to work. And maybe this style of foot, the combination of this this group of players and this manager might deliver results that maybe this season or next season are in fact pretty good. And we could, I, th- I think, I think Tottenham can definitely get top four playing like this for the rest of the season. They've easily got it within them, given well, the teams it. that are around them. Don't you also feel there's a bit of like a lawlessness? Uh, there's a feel of that to the Premier League this season, you know, with City getting spanked at home to Leicester, Liverpool losing 7-2. I mean, it does kind of feel like, you know, the parents are out and we're being left to our own devices and it's all just like totally nuts. So like, it, I think the top four's definitely within reach. I mean, it, it just feels like it's going to be such a strange season. Obviously, the flip side of that is, you know, Leicester went and beat City 5-2 and then got beaten 3-0 at home. Um by West Ham, didn't they? So, you know, who knows? Maybe Spurs will come crashing down to earth and have some zany results themselves. But well, Spurs um, have West Ham at home next, don't they? Well, so. yeah, yeah, they do. But that would almost be too predictable if West Ham backed up beating Leicester 3-0 by beating Spurs. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree with you, Jack. I, I felt it was, um, you know, from from where they were in that Everton game, where I think we were, that's the thing, like, I'm obviously conflicted about this and I know it's like, oh, well, you're being reactive. But that Everton game was really bad and it had been like that for so many games. And like, I do think this was the first like really complete attacking performance of the Mourinho era. You know, maybe Burnley at home, but that was I think, more just putting away a pretty middling side who didn't show much ambition, you know, and Southampton, Southampton I guess, as well. But as you say, that that was that maybe felt a little bit freaky. Um, but the turnaround since that Everton game, like they... They, we said they had. They really like they had no attacking plan, and now it looks like <laughs> they do have one. And it's definitely going to be a really open, open season in the top four. Not, I mean, look, we've kind of got no. Even City, like we've got no idea how good City are. The, frankly, the way that City are playing, Especially I think they're capable of, of like a really good half hour, and then they collapse a bit. I think you know it's not. It, there are plenty of continuities between City this year and Tottenham last year or even Chelsea 15-16, in the sense that I think the players are maybe a little bit tired of the manager. Uh, and I don't know I don't know what City's level this year is going to be. Mm. And then Arsenal, you know, Arteta's first full season, there's still lots of holes in the squad, even though I think Arteta is a very good coach. And then you're looking at Spurs' next main rivals are Chelsea and Manchester United, who are managed by two... You know, I mean, whatever you think about Mourinho, he's got 20 major trophies, whereas Lampard and Solskjaer have got two two Norwegian titles between them. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Everton, who we don't really know anything about four games in, and uh, who knows how sustainable this is. But yeah. I think there's a lot of scope there, isn't there, James, for Tottenham to, for Tottenham to do well? Yeah, I mean, I, look, I, that, that depth is going to be absolutely crucial, and, and that is going to be an even bigger thing this season where... Um, not to depress people, but you know we're going to be seeing players dip in and out of a team with uh, with COVID over the course of the season, right? As we've seen, that's what happened to Liverpool, right? They lost Mane, one of their best players. Um, uh, you know, and he'll miss. I think he'll miss their next game after the break as well, will he? Or won't he? I suppose possibly not. Um, no, he's supposed to be back, won't he? But you know that that kind of thing's going to happen through the season, and if you know you lose two players all of a sudden. I think a, a, a club like Spurs, who we think are going to have two players for every position, more or less, two good players for every position, will be far better placed than, I mean, you know, someone like Everton or Leicester, who, who I really don't think have a depth. I think that that is really going to become quite apparent as the season as the season wears on. I mean, obviously, the flip side to that is that Spurs are in Europe and Everton are not, Wolves are not, and they didn't have a squad either. Um 
But yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I think there's a lot to be optimistic about. I, I do worry slightly about that defence who... You wouldn't want to criticise them, particularly on the basis of what we saw yesterday, but you know, they weren't tested, were they? Um, and, and I do wonder how they'll kind of bear up when when put under the cosh a little bit. But going forward now, it looks like they should be they should be a threat in every match. They should be able to score goals. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's probably a bit early to get carried away. I mean, I definitely think top four, they definitely should be in contention for top four. I think I've seen enough now in the last couple of games to, to suggest that. Um, you know, the Newcastle game is a bit of a freak in terms of them not getting the win on the basis of that. Uh, what I think we would diplomatically call a questionable refereeing slash VAR decision. Uh, sorry, I just want to add one thing. This is barely relevant to what we're talking about, but I, it's just a thing I noticed yesterday. I actually think Solskjaer handled uh, getting smashed better than Klopp in game yesterday. Because I, like Solskjaer basically... Try to shut up shop, keep things simple, put two defensive midfield players on, keep the ball, try not to get overrun. And, you know, and they were still the worst team in the second half, but they they stemmed the flow. And on another day, maybe they could have got the first goal in the second half and then things are totally different. But Liverpool, like, I, I, but maybe this is nonsense and you two might not agree or you two might not have seen the game, but... And I'm aware of the irony of talking about Liverpool when we said we weren't even going to talk about Manchester United. But I, I just like, it was just complete chaos that game. And there was just no game management there at all. It was ludicrous. Like a throwback. I mean, what I find, and again, without wishing to talk about Liverpool too much, I do, I do find their transformation, I've probably said this on the podcast before, from like absolute clown team who in Klopp's first year or so were winning games like 5-4 at Norwich. That game was like, like that. That was, that was what that game was like though. Yeah, that game that, but that's what I mean. It's so weird like, that they've, like they've had that throwback but then they became this like uber solid winning machine I suppose to bring that back to Spurs what I would say is that like you know you have a manager who knows and is willing to like suck the life out of a game when uh, when that's necessary and I think you know that might be a thing that that really helps Spurs over the course of this season because I (laughs) I've watched a lot of matches this season as I'm sure a lot of people have and it's just I've been so many games that have just been absolute chaotic nonsense uh, and until I see Spurs in a game that's a chaotic nonsense that they don't win, uh, mm-hmm. I'll sort of be quietly confident that they can do well this season given they have that in their locker. Isn't that what's so crazy about all of this? That, you know, Spurs, they haven't kept a clean sheet in any of their eight games this season, yeah. uh, nor the last one of last. So they're on a run of nine games without a clean sheet. They've scored five, what, seven what, and six. So what, the caveat to that, though, is the penalties, right? Are they conceded two goals that weren't penalties, I think? Yeah, that would only have meant one. they kept one clean sheet. Um, the other one was they'd already conceded at, um, oh, at Southampton. Kept, New, Newcastle and Man United, they would have kept clean sheets about penalties. But yesterday and was Saints. a penalty. But yes, but I mean, yesterday was a penalty. So you can't just rule well, out I'm not penalties. Sa- no, no, I'm not, so I'm not saying they weren't penalties, but I'm saying you know, they, from open play, they're not conceded other than... From open play, right, yeah, yeah. But I would say conceding a pen like yesterday is just... Still counts as a legitimate. Yeah, I'm not. Goal. I'm not suggesting we draw up a table without penalties. I'm not. You know, I'm not <laughs> but like anyway, a I mean, fan or something. But but what I mean, they're they're conceding a lot of goals, but they're scoring an absolute shitload, which is just kind of so far from the Mourinho stereotype. And I do, you know, and I spoke about this last week of not viewing everything through the prism of uh, what's gone before. And it's just funny because if if he was a new, if say he was Arteta, who we know nothing about how he plays, if this was Mourinho's first job, we'd be looking at him as like, well, he, you know, he can get teams scoring, but can they defend properly? You know, can Mourinho get a team to organise a defence? And that has been the, that's actually been like the biggest question mark about Mourinho's Tottenham for the, for the whole year since he's 
been there almost. Like they can't really keep clean sheets very regularly. So it will be really interesting to see if they can turn that round. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be exciting. I think if Tottenham if Tottenham can embrace the chaotic nonsense, then I think it's going to be a good year. Uh, Charlie, what would you put this down as Mourinho's best week in the job, counting in as well the Chelsea Maccabee Haifa game, which we should mention as well? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it was such a challenging week. Um, you know, given that <laughs> let's play Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. I mean, that is ludicrous. To win them all is brilliant, and you know, to show so many really encouraging characteristics. Like you know, yesterday we've talked about, but I thought Tuesday was was actually a really impressive retrieval. You know, they were losing one 0 getting really outplayed, playing without a striker essentially. And they wrestled that game back, um, you know, showed really impressive character. Um, yeah, it, it felt like, like I say, the, the week where they discovered some identity under Mourinho, um, I thought it was really positive. And like in an unusual bit of prescience, like the piece, my piece I wrote last week was on how Mourinho could channel, channel the kind of injustice of that dire penalty against Newcastle. And he really does seem to have done that. Like that, they could so easily after that game of, you know, just been a bit down and thought like, wow, we've got three games. this. We've got a game in two days. We've got three games this week. Like, you know, it, it wouldn't have been a massive surprise if then Chelsea had beaten them comfortably and you're thinking, God, they've that, you know, they've really been winded by that penalty. Instead, they've reacted so, so well. And, uh, you, and you have to say that's credit to, to Mourinho and, and to the players. You can definitely see that, that winning that shootout will give them like a lot of confidence. I mean, I think, I think, I, I did look at this earlier on. I might have got the maths wrong. I think in my time supporting Spurs, so you're kind of going back to like mid-90s, Spurs have uh, been in 12 penalty shootouts and won now. Uh, that was the third one they won against Chelsea. I mean, they've lost so many penalty shootouts. I mean, they've lost to Middlesbrough. I've actually got it on my screen now while we've been talking. They've lost to Middlesbrough in the League Cup, Liverpool in the League Cup, PSV in the UEFA Cup. Manchester United in the League Cup final, Stoke in the League Cup, Basel in the UEFA Cup, and they beat Hull and then Watford uh, in the League Cup, and obviously lost to Chelsea in the League Cup season before last, and Colchester last season, and Norwich in the FA Cup last season as well. So you know those those are wounds that were kind of fresh in the mind as well. It wasn't just like they're all in the dim and distant past and they're completely irrelevant to this team. They got knocked out of both domestic cups and penalties last season, and yet they scored six out of six penalties this time around. I think you know. I know we're kind of free youngish guys who are on Twitter, so we should think that things like mentality and uh, belief and <laughs> confidence are completely irrelevant. But I mean, I, I definitely think that they must. There's just must be something that's happened there that is that has given them something. There, there just must be something. Yeah, Dan Zakiri, who's really insightful journalist at the Telegraph, he he put it well. He said, you know, things like mentality and those kind of things—they're not ev- just because they're not everything doesn't mean they're nothing. And I think that is really true. Like, you know, yes, some people might overstate them, but yeah, they they do matter loads, even if you are, as you say, young, pretentious people who live on Twitter. Yeah, well, we are certainly all of that. Uh, <laughs> Maccabee Haifa, Maccabee Haifa, Charlie. Um, game that would probably be slightly forgotten because of the way it fell between the Chelsea Man United games but a hugely important win for Tottenham as well yeah it was fun I mean it was very Sunday league vibes I mean honestly 
uh, Maccabee Haifa could have scored like four or five in that game and Spurs could probably have hit double figures and like 7-2. I mean, it was crazy that it was to the day a year since they lost 7-2 at home to Bayern. Um, but yeah, I mean, as you say, the important thing wasn't really the result. Uh, sorry, it wasn't the performance necessarily. It was just getting through that, getting to the Europa League group stage. Uh, you know, and that's a competition that they've got a really good chance of winning. You know, that I think in our preseason predictions, I said I had them down to win that. Uh, and that was <laughs> what feels like a lifetime ago, given who they've signed since, how they've started the season. Um, but also, yeah, obviously financially. And, and just it would have really checked the momentum that they've built at the start of the season. Uh, but yeah, good win. And, you know, Kane just casually getting another hat-trick. I would definitely like to revise my prediction that Spurs will go out of the Europa League early, which I guess was quite vague. But <laughs> I mean, I, if they don't get out of that group, I don't care what they do in the league. Mourinho needs to be sacked. I mean, that... I mean, even purely on the geography, I think they've got pretty much what they would have yeah, wanted, right? Yeah, it's decent. I mean, Bulgaria last... is the furthest, I think. Bulgaria, yeah, which isn't ideal, but it's not. The, it's the second away game, isn't it? I think it's like the third. It's the fourth game with the whole group. Yeah. So I think if they can win the first three games, then maybe you can kind of send a bit of a scratch team to that, and you know, leave Kane and Son and whoever mm-hmm. behind, um, and think about the league game afterwards. But yeah, I think uh, you know, Austria and Belgium. I mean, uh, that's the dream, isn't it? That's pretty much exactly what you want. Unless you get an Irish team like Arsenal got. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I also want to say I feel sad for the fans that they don't get to go to the trips because of, as a fan, or even, to be honest, as a journalist as well. Like, I was going to say, what about us poor journalists? Yeah, European draw day is really fun because the fixtures come out later on and then you get to plan all your trips and everything. And it's just a really big part of the autumn. But obviously that won't be happening. And uh, I haven't actually been to Ludogorets or... So, LA or anywhere in Austria, but I, I have been to Antwerp, which is really, really nice. And uh, I'm sure under normal circumstances, there'd be sort of 5,000 Spurs fans going over for it, but obviously that won't be happening. I mean, I'm assuming Ludogorets, God, this is exposing my ignorance, is a place in its own I think right. Razgrad is <laughs> oh, a place. Oh, Razgrad, yeah. yeah Ludogorets yeah. is the team. I've only been oh, to man. Sofia. Yeah, yeah, apologies. And then in Austria, I've been to Vienna and Salzburg. Um, so I think LASK is from out. So I'm going to look it up on Wikipedia right now. But I think LASK, LASK, top ten. Yeah, this is, you can see this like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, LA, it's in with, right? Linz. It's in Linz. Yeah. yeah. Linz. Um, not been to Antwerp, but been to your Ghent's, your Brussels's, your Bruges. Yeah. So it would have been nice to complete that set. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's really good. And Toby Alderweireld, a return for him. He's got a tattoo, hasn't he, of the... Um, of the Antwerp Cathedral, yeah. The Antwerp Cathedral, yeah. And a cathedral? I didn't know that. It's got a tattoo. That's... That- yeah. I don't know why that, that's kind of conjured an image of Tony Robinson for some reason. That kind of <laughs> he's got like so he's got like tattoos with his with his brother's names on, and it's all very much based on his his kind of how yeah the sort of strong feelings he has for his hometown, and I think he he's a very he's someone who like misses his hometown when he's not there, and I think he got homesick when he went to went to Ajax as a boy. Okay, well I look, I look forward to reading uh, Charlie's piece about that the day before the game. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure for him at least it'll be a big, uh, you know, a nice big emotional return. Hopefully he'll there'll be some home fans who can, who can say hi to him. But um, <laughs> else, else, sorry, th- that right, sounded really glib. But yeah. I didn't mean I meant it. I, I meant it in a genuine good, way. No, that's quite a good point. Though. Are they going to? Because haven't UEFA said that there can be fans now at games if, if that's kind of allowed? Like, if the country allows it, yeah. Uh, so it depends what the Belgian league to decide between now and that so, game, which I think so is I the end of this month. Could actually be at a massive competitive disadvantage if those other countries like if, if like Ludicorettes let fans in say and obviously Spurs won't let fans in presumably 
In theory, yeah, like Germany's having some fans, Russia's having fans. So through Boris Johnson and the government's kind of failure to get hold of coronavirus, that could cost Spurs a place in the Europa League last 32. Oh, God. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hi guys, David Ornstein here. If you've not seen it yet, I've launched a new weekly YouTube show, Ask Ornstein, where I answer questions from our subscribers to The Athletic. Submit your questions via the discussion pages on The Athletic app and I'll answer my favourites. To watch the show, head over to the TIFO Podcast YouTube channel and a new episode will be up every week. Elsewhere is the end of the transfer window uh, and kind of big news last week, Charlie, with the signing of uh, Carlos Vinicius yeah, from Benfica. It's felt, I was thinking like that's felt like a kind of mirage in the desert for... Tottenham for so long that Great backup tweet. striker. Great um, tweet. <laughs> um, but yes, they have finally ended that search. Um, Carlos Vinicius comes in from Benfica on a season-long loan. There's an option rather than obligation to buy. So Spurs very much in that drive in the driving seat. Uh, and we'll have it. We've got a big read uh, ready um, on him. So something to look forward to uh, when, when the window closes and you know there are no transfer rumors to read although actually the EFL deadline is until next Friday so there will still probably be transfer rumors to read but anyway um yeah exciting player I mean he scored a lot of goals last season uh quite a few assists as well big guys like six foot three and you know pretty built uh as we look at in the piece I mean this is a guy he was playing as a center-back in, in Brazilian youth football like five years ago so pretty staggering rise for him um he mainly does play I mean he pretty much exclusively plays as an out-and-out striker. He can drop deeper and, you know, some of his assists last season bear that out. But I think, you know, he is going to be as an alternative to Kane. If they are to play together, I expect it'll be Kane who's doing more of the dropping deep, given how good he is in that kind of number 10 role from time to time. Um, But yeah, he feels like precisely the kind of profile of a backup striker you want. You know, he's 25... He's, uh, he's he's mobile, he's strong, he's absolutely an out-and-out striker and, he, and he's a guy Mourinho really, really wanted. So it feels encouraging. I'm watching a video of his goals now as we speak. There's some really nice finishes here. He looks better than... Who was the lad from Mets? Diallo. Oh, yeah, Diallo, who you weren't impressed by. This guy looks good on YouTube, so I think we can be certain he's going to be a success. I do actually reference that in, in the background piece, you know, the fact that, you know, if, you've, if, you're, if you haven't been... You know, watching his YouTube compilations over the last few days, then you've got to be asking yourself serious questions. I mean, I have to see in a shot against the post. So, I mean, that, you know, it's sort of starting to scrape the barrel now a little bit. Oh, oh, he saved. And another good shot save. Okay, maybe it's not so great this video. Get, get yourself on Y Scout, fella. 
Then you can yeah, then you can filter it just by goals and assists and pretend in your head he's like a kind of Pele Maradona hybrid. And the reason why this is so good for Spurs is that it's been years really since they had. I mean, they've never had a good backup to Kane. Juventus was as good as it got really, but um, he's been gone for a few years now. Janssen obviously wasn't up to it. Spurs have always known they've had this issue with Kane, which is that if you get a good backup, then they'll just never play, and that means that that has put a lot of players off coming in to do that job. But obviously. Uh, Vinicius is happy to come and you know to come and compete with Kane and learn from Kane and, and that just gives Spurs a fantastic extra option because I'm sure like as you'll you'll see when you look at the Europa League group stage calendar it's incredibly compressed because it's all because the first game isn't until after the October international window which is like two months or a month or so later than normal there's hardly any down like the only weeks when there aren't Europa League group games is the November window so the games are going to be coming so thick and fast that the option of not playing Harry Kane for those games is going to be invaluable for Tottenham also just just one thing quickly I thought of you both um, when kind of doing the research uh, around Vinicius do you know who the Benfica manager is these days George uh, Jesus. Jesus yeah they've got him back Sh- t- uh, Tim Sherwood's bet noir yeah and uh, Sorry, he, he I, didn't fancy Vinicius so he's done he's done Spurs a big favour potentially this, does what, this guy is like Adriano, the uh, Brazilian pro-evolution soccer legend. And what, Shot amazing. power 99. I, I, this guy is going to score 30 goals this season. <laughs> he looks amazing. Yeah, the new Adriano. And now I'm watching an advert for earwax removal. Do you remember Adriano on that Pro Evo, Shot Power 99? And basically, if he was on a red, you basically could shoot from anywhere and you would pretty yeah. much score. Great days. Yeah. That was like the one sort of 2000... I can't remember what number it was, but the one that was in about 2006. I can't remember yeah, if they had the exactly. year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the one as well. Do you remember when you could pick like random team? It would do like teams pick... You could pick like four clubs and it would pick a team. Yeah, random That was select. such a good option, yeah. And they then yeah. they got rid of it. Yeah, Crazy. and one was in like a grey kit and the other was kind of yeah, purpley. Yeah. Yeah, me, me, me and my brother used to do that all the time. And you'd go for Inter as one of your clubs so that you could get Always. Adriano. I remember on some of my friends banned uh, people picking Inter because they felt they were too good. And around the time when they had like Adriano and Ricoba, who was bizarrely like absolutely amazing on that game as well. Um, so yeah, they said it was just too much of an advantage. Yeah, but then if you have Milan, that Milan era had some great players uh, as well. Kaká was amazing. Yeah. Probably Kaká, yeah. yeah. Seidorf. Seidorf could just score from anywhere. And Gattuso was like an absolute beast in midfield as well. Pirlo then as well. That was... A great game. We should do a separate podcast on Perivo. Um, mm. So anyway, back to our, our <laughs> actual jobs. Um, pretty good window all in for Spurs, assuming no more major ins and outs today. They've signed, what, four first-team players in Bale, Regulon, Doherty and Hoiberg, plus Hart and Vinicius as backups, and they've done it for about £50 million, Charlie. Yeah, it's been an amazing window, actually. Like, I think even, and James can correct me if I'm wrong here, but even like the most optimistic fans would would have struggled to imagine a window quite this good. Like, the only thing which still could happen as well, we're recording this at, what, three o'clock on the, in the afternoon on, on Monday. They are still looking at centre-back options. And if something presents itself, they'll go for it. That's the only thing you'd say would have made it like the absolute 10 out of 10 window. But... I mean, it's actually gone be- because it's not like anyone was thinking, oh, I ho- you know, I hope seriously we get bail this window. Like, that's such an incredible bonus on top of plugging, you know, what were the big things, right? We need a backup striker, we need a DM, and we need to sort out the fullbacks. They've done all of those. So, um, yeah, fair play. It's been, it's been quite the window. Yeah, I was wondering whether we had talked about 
what what the kind of order of preference would be with regards to areas they needed to strengthen. Because I, I I think I definitely would have had centre back on the list, but I'm fairly sure, ironically, after how he played yesterday, I would have how Aurier played yesterday. Um, they would have had right back as first choice and a defensive midfielder as second choice. And obviously those are the, t- the first two positions they addressed. Like like you say, Charlie, then you want a, a backup striker and to bring in Bale is absolutely ludicrous. Obviously a, a fantastic left back as well. So yeah, I think it would be a bit churlish to kind of get too down on things if they don't sign a centre-back. But if they do, I mean, I, it, it would definitely be like... I mean, I mean you know, you're always at risk of looking a bit stupid if you kind of try and assess these things in the moment. You've got to kind of you know, wait a few months and see how things pan out and see, you know, which players do what, uh, uh, who hits the mark and who doesn't. But, um, I mean, certainly at the moment, it looks like it's going to be a very good window. I mean, I always do just think of that Everton, uh, Richard Keyes uh, hailing Everton winning the 2017 transfer window, which a lot, which to be fair, a lot of people are doing. But he then went one bigger and said he thought off the back of them winning the window in inverted commas, they'd finish above Liverpool. And can, I just, can, win- I just, can I just apologise to all of our listeners who also listen to the Football Clichés <laughs> podcast for all for- of the stuff that Charlie repeats that has been on there already? <laughs> Yeah, my, my Keezy obsession is a bit out of control. It's nice, though, because now on Twitter, people just send me videos of, of Keezy. And I, and I have a, a dedicated WhatsApp group anyway for Keys content, but can, can, I, ca- can I, I can't just, really get enough. Can I put a request out? Can people also send me screen grabs of Richard Keyes' tweets? Because uh, for reasons I can't go into, I can no longer see his tweets. You, he blocked you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Man. I, I'd Richard Keyes, to... Alan Sugar. Uh... He, hasn't even block, he hasn't even blocked me. You interviewed him, didn't you, Jack? Yeah, in uh, for the indie like seven years ago. Did he? He thought that interview went well, though, didn't he? Uh, probably. <laughs> is 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 just just on the uh, in the way that we have to or fans like to always see a downside in in any upside. What do we think of the uh, why didn't they give this kind of backing to Poch uh, school of thought? And you know, do you does that James Jack make you? Sad? Do you think that was a mistake? It does make you wonder whether, I mean, we know Pochettino, I don't want to say he's set in his ways, but he, he obviously is very particular with the players, yeah, with the profile of players he wants, both on a technical level and in terms of like personality and whatever, and age as well, I think. Um, so I, it does make you wonder whether actually Pochettino perhaps could have, perhaps could have had this kind of backing, but wouldn't have wanted it. I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, maybe that's unfair to say, but I, it doesn't really feel like the financial situation now should be better than it was before. And, and to be honest, I, we, I think this might be what you're about to say, Jack. It's not like they've gone out and spent an absolute ton of money now. Yeah. Compared to last summer, where they, you know, brought in and and Lascelles for big money. With the exception of, um, with the exception of Reguilon, most of these signings are either loans or cheap, and the players that Pochino really needed would have been closer to the £50 million bracket. So Mane from Saints, Zaha from Palace, uh, nearly got Grealish, maybe Barkley from Everton, that kind of thing. So even though, like, I think this kind of window of cheap players and loans isn't exactly what Pochino would have needed so much in, say, 2017, 2018. Uh, So there's a bit of discontinuity there. But equally, you know, I think the the way I look at it is this is the this is really the the re, the refresh that the squad has needed for years. Like even though in 2019, I think Lascelles and Dombele will both go down to be really really good buys. Cessnion, I think the jury's still out. Um, I th- 
the fact that they didn't really sign anyone in twenty in twenty eighteen and the twenty seventeen transfers weren't quite so good meant that there was just a really really long overdue squad rebuilding and frankly rebuilding the first team as well and they've done that now and it just feels like a new fresh kind of probably it's quite an exciting Tottenham team for the first time in a while and I think this means that we can all you know it's a team as Charlie was saying at the top of the podcast it's a team with its own identity now and a team with its own new players. And that is, uh, and that is what they've been crying out for in this kind of pretty strange last year or so that they've had. And I think as well, like the financials probably is an element. I mean, they were rebuilding a stadium for for those uh, those windows that you mentioned, like you know that eighteen month period where they didn't sign anyone, and I'm sure that would have had uh, an impact as well. Completely, yeah. Well, um, that's all we've got time for on this week's podcast, but. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Charlie and James and producer Tom. We'll be back again slightly later next week because it's the international break, but we'll look forward to Spurs' next game, which of course is against West Ham United in the Premier League, and we're all hoping that Gareth Bale will be involved. If there's anything else that you want us to to talk about next time, please just tweet us.